We are continuing a series in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this morning, and uh, in this we see what is the case for all of Scripture, and yet through the preaching of God's Word and through the in-depth study of His Word, we often find that the sections we are in speak with a particular import, with a particular power uh, for us, though written thousands of years ago. It is as if they might as well could have been written but moments ago in their power and in their significance and in the way in which they grab our hearts and speak to us and call us to trust our Lord today. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Let me briefly ask God's hand to be upon us. Lord, would you anoint the preaching of your word? Would you give our hearts soft, fertile ground to receive your word? To examine where our hope and our trust lies. And to examine whether or not we truly believe that which we say that we do. Would you help us to cast our anxiousness, our worries, our concerns, our everything upon you? And it is in Christ's name that I pray, that we pray. Amen. In late May, the CDC published a study that found that as many as one-third of Americans were reporting concerning levels of depression or anxiety. That was late May, and I don't know about you, but I doubt those numbers have gone down much since then. Now, this study is certainly skewed by a a once-in-a-century pandemic, but a similar study was released by the CDC using the same uh, 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 methodology and the same uh, practice, and and this study was released in 2014, and its findings, I thought, were relatively striking themselves as they showed that instead of one-third, one-sixth of Americans were reporting concerning levels of depression or anxiety. But you don't need me to give you statistics to tell you that we are regularly beleaguered by worry or by anxiety. In fact, imagine, pick any day this past week that comes to your mind, and imagine if you carried a notepad around for that one day for 24 hours, and you wrote down every time that you worried about something, whether it was your health, whether it was your child's grades at school, whether it was a pending uncertainty or crisis that was coming at the workplace, whether it was a costly repair that was needed around the home or a new endeavor that you were about to embark upon that seemed to be exciting but also seemed to be fraught with fear. I think all of us would be astonished and, frankly, quite terrified by how much worry and anxiety seems to be our shadow wherever we go. Now, to be clear, I want to make something certain and abundantly clear at the outset of this sermon. I, I, I want to say clearly that I am not advocating that Christians should not seek medical help for anxiety or depression when that is needed. Medical assistance is a common grace gift from God that we ought to wisely and safely seek when that is what is needed. Let's be very clear on that. But what I'm getting at and what I think Jesus is getting at as we begin to look at Matthew 6 are the relentless punches that life throws at us. The relentless punches that bruise us 
as, as, we, as we consider all sorts of worries that come over us as we think about the future. What, can, what concerns immediately race to the forefront of your mind when you roll out of bed in the morning? And forget rolling out of the bed in the morning. What concerns, what worries scream loudly in your mind, in fact, so loudly that they wake you up in the middle of the night? The bad news of our day and age keeps coming at such a breakneck pace that even as I was writing this sermon, as I was writing it on Tuesday, I had to register my, in, the, in my mind the possibility that something could happen between Tuesday when I was writing the sermon and today, Sunday, when I was delivering it, that something could happen that would force me to have, a, have, a, add, have to add a new life event for us to worry about. So where do we turn when in life seems to be laying worry after worry upon our hearts? Well, in Matthew 6, Jesus beckons us to trust Him with today's anxieties and know that as we serve Him, our Heavenly Father will meet our needs. Follow along as I read Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word. May he write its truths upon our hearts. Jesus beckons, him, beckons us to trust him with today's anxieties. And know that as we serve him, our Heavenly Father will meet our needs. We're going to see this as we make our way through this sermon in three steps. First, Jesus tells us not to be anxious. Second, nature tells us not to be anxious. And third, our Heavenly Father is our reason not to be anxious. Jesus tells us not to be anxious, nature tells us not to be anxious, and our Heavenly Father is the reason not to be anxious. First, in verse 25, Jesus tells us not to be anxious. The first word you see there is therefore. This section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, verses 25 to 34, is building off the previous section in verses 19 to 24. In the previous section, Jesus told us that we cannot serve both God and money. In fact, our own Neil preached a superb sermon on this just last week, and it's available on our website if you've not heard it yet. But see the connections of Jesus saying you can't serve God and money, and now I'm telling you not to worry about what 
uh, today holds or what tomorrow holds. And so as Jesus concludes verse 24, he says, you cannot serve God in money. Then he says, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What he's showing us is that if verses 19 to 24 force us to ask the question, do I serve God or do I serve money? Verses 25 to 34 ask us, do I truly trust God with my life? The question is not, what do I sing in church? Or the question is not, what, what is the appropriate Sunday school or Bible study answer that I give when I'm asked a question about my trust level in God? Jesus is speaking to people who consider themselves to be quite religious. The question is, as the trials of life produce evidence that reveals the true condition of our hearts, what verdict about the state of our hearts towards money or how we worry about what today or tomorrow holds? What verdict do these trials produce? Not what do we say, but what do our hearts testify against us? Now, as we look at these words of Jesus, we must understand the general nature of this exhortation. He is speaking with the gravity of God in the flesh. But this is a gravity that must be, uh, in, in the nature of this Sermon on the Mount, it must be thoroughly applied to our general perspective, yet carefully applied when it comes to specific circumstances. Thoroughly applied to general perspective, but carefully applied when specifically with, with specific circumstances. Here's what I mean about that. I think Jesus is getting at overall the, the nature of the makeup of our hearts as we worry about or as we address the worries and the concerns that come about day by day in our lives. I don't believe that Jesus is getting at whenever you face some particular uh, gripping or painful tragedy that, that, oh, you just say, well, I'm going to trust God. So when the house is on fire at 2 a.m. and you're trying to get everything out or everyone out of the house and, and your wife screams at you, honey, we got to make sure to get this. You don't say, honey, don't worry. It'll be okay. Or I, heard, I read of a man as I was preparing this sermon who he heard a sermon on this text just days after his lovely wife and the mother of their children was diagnosed with a terminal disease. And he sat there listening to the sermon saying, what am I supposed to make of this? Jesus telling me not to worry? No, that's not what the case is here. We see throughout the course in the testimony of Scripture that God is with us and that God is able to mercifully, supernaturally walk with us through the greatest tragedies and trials that this life can bring our way. But Jesus is not calling us to some kind of flippant lack of emotion or lack of, lack of, 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 of grasp of what our circumstances are. Jesus is saying to us in your day-by-day life, let's make sure to be careful about our perspective. And have a perspective that is guarded by hope in the Lord. He says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If you think about Jesus' audience, not only were they people who considered themselves a religious audience who trusted in God, but they were people who 2,000 years ago They lived in a context which would demand quite a bit of worry. They were a religious minority under the thumb of a government that scornfully looked down upon them. 
They lived in a region and a period of time where famine and, and other natural disasters and economic woe were seemingly always just waiting right around the corner. And so when Jesus tells them, don't worry about what you're going to eat, it's a little hard for us to grasp when we know we can go to the supermarket today and, and, and have an abundance of options before us. And yet it's a little different whenever we consider that a people 2,000 years ago that famine might be a far too common occurrence in their day-by-day existence. But Jesus stands before them and He stands before us And he says, as you fill up that notepad of your worries that wake you up in the morning, that keep you awake at night, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will put on or what you will drink or about your body. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's calling us to a different perspective than as the norm as we understand it. But not only does He call us to not be anxious or or beckon us to not be anxious about what today may hold or about what we might be looking at as far as wondering if God will provide for us, but He even gives us resources to help to put this disposition of trusting in God to practice. He doesn't just say, do it. He says, let me help you to trust in God. resource that He gives us, first of all, is the reminder that nature tells us to not be anxious. So He tells us to not be anxious, and then He says, and allow nature to reinforce this message. Look at how Jesus, in verses 26 to 30, instructs us to let both the birds of the air and the flowers of the field minister to us. Look at this in verses 26 to 30. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We recognize what Jesus is saying here. He's saying these birds are fed by God. And we are of more value than they are. He's telling us these lilies of the field, they are adorned in beauty, and the God who clothes them, He will clothe you. Speaking of birds teaching to us, ministering to us. The great reformer, Martin Luther, said of this passage, he said, you see, he is making the birds our schoolmasters and our teachers. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore, you are listening to an excellent preacher. It is as if he is saying, God has made heaven and earth, and he himself is the cook and the host. Every day he feeds and nourishes innumerable little birds out of his hand. And yet so often, we feel as if when it comes to our life, we're going to go to God's kitchen tonight and supper will not be served. Don't we? We feel as if we're going to drag ourselves to the pantry in the middle of the night and open up the door and the shelves be bare. 
Has it ever struck you that worry is the language by which our hearts tell God that we don't trust Him? Listen to the question that Jesus leaves us with at the end of verse 26. After referencing the birds, so He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus, Jesus, like, like a good surgeon, like a good counselor who has identified something that the patient must know. He says, are you not of more value than they? And he follows up with a question in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? One pastor I read commented on this. He says, sometimes it is carved into our bodies by sores that we call, call ulcers. Sometimes it is etched into our faces by lines we call wrinkles. It may be pictured on our lips by the shape we call a frown. It can be heard in footsteps pacing back and forth on the floor late at night. Sometimes it's muffled by the silence of someone lying in bed, staring at the ceiling, unable to go to sleep. Worrying never solved a problem. Worrying never dried a tear. It never lifted a burden. It never removed an obstacle. It never made bad things good or good things better. And as Jesus says, by being anxious, which of you can add a single hour to his span of life? He's saying something similar to, I think, something that my dad one time told me when he said, Stephen, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And yet that sounds quite sage, like, like a saying you would read on the in a picture in the doctor's office or at the dentist or on one of those motivational calendars. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> How do I not do that? I don't know. Just don't do it. Well, that's consolation. But thank you. thankfully, Jesus is far more profound than those motivational posters that we might read. He'll address this in a moment. As you hear him say not to worry, and you ask how, hang on. But do you feel as if life is a nonstop train taking you to a land of worry when you can't find the brake to stop? May I make one recommendation for you? Maybe not today because it's so cold, but sometime this week, when the weather is a little more cooperative, take a walk and observe the birds. Consider the wonders of God's creation. And consider the invitation of the birds to trust in their Creator who feeds them and who promises to meet your needs as well. Young adults, maybe you are saddled by debt. Job prospects aren't very appealing and you feel like you have so many dreams and yet you feel like your life is stuck on the launch pad and you can't find ignition for takeoff. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? But let's not just contemplate the birds of the air. Listen to Jesus as he speaks of the lilies of the field in verses 28 through 30. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So as he moves from illustrating the provision of God for the birds of the air now to the lilies of the field, Jesus points out that even though King Solomon, this this Old Testament uh, uh, figure who was known for, for immense wealth, immense wealth, And he was phenomenally well-dressed. And yet for all that he had, he could not adorn himself as nicely as the flowers in an untended meadow that only grow by the hand of a merciful God who adorns them in vibrant colors and in undeniable beauty. When you plant your garden this week or when you plant flowers this spring, I say this week, not this week, not a good week to plant in the garden. But this spring, when you do so, watch your flowers grow in their loveliness. And as you do so, take a deep breath and ponder God's goodness and ponder His promises to continually clothe you and to meet your needs. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Senior adults, you might be on a fixed income. You might be facing increasing health care costs, increasing only rising costs of living, and it's becoming more and more unbearable. You feel as if each month you are walking the tightrope of stretching your money out in hopes that the month ends before your checking account hits zero. God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. For all the ways that this passage might seem as if it's a little bit pie-in-the-sky expectations, this might be, at the end of verse 30, might be the first place where you feel like, okay, here's where I resonate. For the first time in this passage, I feel like I'm on the same page with Jesus when he says, oh, you of little faith. And you say, yep, if not worrying is a sign of little faith, that's me. You got me pegged, Jesus. My worries testify against me that I don't trust you as I should. But to come back to what I said earlier, it's easy to say, don't worry. Now tell me how not to worry. I look at nature, okay, I look at the birds, I look at the flowers, that's a help. Do you got anything more? Anything more for when I'm laying in bed and I can't fall asleep? If I'm going to for, for, forsake and move on from these concerns, these very real pressing needs and pressing worries that confront me and confound me, what do you recommend I do with them, Jesus? Well, he tells us not to worry. Nature tells us not to worry. And then he tells us what to do with them. He says, take them to our heavenly Father. Jesus tells us that our Heavenly Father is our reason not to be anxious. He doesn't call us to detached from reality kind of forgetfulness. He calls us to cast all our cares upon God, but specifically on the God who is our Heavenly Father. Look at verses 31 and 32. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And then listen to verse 32, brothers and sisters. He says, For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
Now, there is something undeniable in importance here in verse 32, yet it's possibly subtle in comprehension as we read these verses. Do you see the reference to Gentiles and to our Heavenly Father there in verse 32? The Gentiles seek these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. So speaking to a Jewish audience and referencing Gentiles, Jesus is saying, those who do not know God, those who do not know God, they are the ones that are worrying about all of these things. They don't have a heavenly father that they can trust. But by speaking of your heavenly father, as Jesus describes him in verse 32, he's saying that this is not the case for those who are the people of God. This is not the case for us. In verse 32, Jesus stops us cold in our footsteps. and He tells us that entrusting our worries to God is not something that only the spiritually mature are called to do. But in fact, it's a responsibility for all of us who would follow after him. Understand that Christianity is supernatural through and through. It is not just supernatural in origin. It is supernatural in strength and in sustenance day by day, moment by moment, until we enter the presence of our King Jesus himself. The faith that Jesus is calling us to have can only take hold when it is applied via the supernatural hand of God. When it is applied via the understanding that God is not this distant deity, but he is in fact my heavenly Father. This is not a call from Jesus for a faith that tries harder. It is a call for Jesus for a faith that is born out of the supernatural work of God in our souls. Now, we have the luxury of stepping back from the Sermon on the Mount and taking in the unbelievable reality that God has met our eternal greatest need in Christ's death on the cross as he atoned for our sins. So we can answer, we can logically look at this and say, if he has met that need, through the death of Jesus Christ, then we can know that we are safe in trusting our Heavenly Father with all of our needs or worries of today. I've said this before, but it's so true, and it's so at least helpful for me in understanding this kind of thing. If I look at eternity, and I say I can trust God with my next 10 billion tomorrows, then I know I can trust Him with the next 10 minutes, with the next 10 hours, or with the next 10 years whatever they hold. How do our conversations in the break room at work our interactions with others on social media, what we post, what we share, what we say, how do they betray a lack of trust in God? Is our disposition, is our demeanor one of confidence in God that is only growing because we know we are all one but one step closer to the eternal reign of Christ and our experience and life in it? Or is our context, our, 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 our demeanor, our speech, our attitude one of frantic running around, worrying, the wheels are falling off. Earth is melting. Run for the hills. How does our tone, even with our children or with our loved ones, betray a lack of belief in God's goodness? Should we not display to our kids and to our grandkids an optimism 
that is rooted not in what we read in the newspaper headlines, but is rooted in the unflinching promises of the timeless Scriptures. As Christians, make no mistake, we are not detached from all that the world is walking through. We wear masks every day. We wonder, when am I going to be able to get the vaccine? When am I going to be able to take my parents to get the vaccine? We wonder what the outcome of everything that's going on in the world will have upon our business. Will the old business that I spent my life building up and investing in, will it have a place in the new normal, in the new tomorrow? These are legitimate questions. Legitimate things that might cause us to pause and worry. But Jesus is showing us here as Christians, we live with awareness of today's problems, but today's problems never speak a better word than tomorrow's promises. Today's anxieties want us to believe that we are orphans in the cold and that we are awaiting a sure and certain destruction. But in Christ, we are actually welcomed into the warmth of God's love and His care and His embrace. Today's anxieties want us to believe that God is overwhelmed by all that is happening in the world. But the empty tomb tells us that all that is going on in the world is beginning to be overwhelmed itself by the power of God to make all things new. My friend, our hope is not not what is on the run. That which would cause us to worry is what is on the run. The kingdom of Christ and His victory over all all things evil, including death and sin itself, is advancing. And as citizens of this kingdom of the risen Christ, we are invited to trust our Heavenly Father with today's worries and give ourselves to the advance of that kingdom. Look at verse 33. Jesus tells us, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is not a promise of prosperity in this life for all who have enough faith. This is a promise of the love and care of God as we serve in the kingdom of Christ. And as we give our hearts and give our minds and give our souls towards growth and righteousness in Christ. So let us resolve that as we go about our lives, we're going to be people of frequent prayer. How often do our worries fill up our hearts, yet our prayers don't fill up our schedules? How often do we feel the increasing pressure in our minds and in our hearts of worry upon worry packing into that closed, confined space and we feel it bursting at the seams and yet we don't open the door of the throne of grace to alleviate that pressure? Let us resolve to seek to take active steps, things we are already doing. Let us resolve to do those things with a mindfulness of God's goodness. Let your next trip to the grocery store be a reminder of your Heavenly Father's love. We will look around and see the bountiful provision of all sorts of food and give thanks to God that even when a a once-in-a-century pandemic comes, the greatest thing we have to worry about lacking is toilet paper for a couple of weeks. As you get dressed each morning, say a word of thanks to God that you have clothes to keep you warm. 
You might wish they were a little newer. You might wish they were a little more stylish. But they are there to keep you warm. And God's mercy has been rich to you. And that doesn't even take into account things like the fact that we have heat to warm our homes. The fact that we have relative certainty that famine is not around the corner or that an invading superpower is not going to overthrow us and enslave and harm us. And as you say a word of thanks, whether in the grocery store or whether in the closet when you get ready each morning, remember these concluding words from our King Jesus. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, you could probably say that if you wanted to memorize it in about the time it takes you to button up your shirt or put your jacket on. Might be a good practice for the rest of this winter. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, brothers and sisters, we don't need reminders that our world is anxious and that we ourselves can be overrun with fear. We don't need CDC studies or other anecdotal conversations with people in our lives that can reveal that. None of of us in our conversations this morning, nobody came in to the entryway in the lobby today and said, you know what I saw this morning? I I saw earlier this week, I couldn't believe it. I met somebody who was nervous about everything going on. We don't need that to know what's going on in the world and to know the condition of our own hearts. What we need are reminders of where to take that anxiousness. Let's look to the birds of the air, the flowers of the ground, the full shelves at the grocery store, the closet full of clothes that keep us warm. And most of all, let us look to the cross where our King atoned for the greatest thing that we would ever have to worry about, our sin and our need of redemption. And let us look at the Heavenly Father who sent His Son to pay this penalty, to pay this cost for our sins. And as we look at Him, let us know that we can trust Him with today's anxieties. And know that as we serve King Jesus, our Heavenly Father will meet our needs. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to trust you. To trust you, first of all, just to bring these anxieties to you. And to trust you, second of all, to know that as we serve you, that you, our Heavenly Father, will meet our needs. So, Lord, we pray you would give us deeper awareness of the work of Christ. The fact that Christ not only died for us and is risen and is reigning, but the fact that he even right now is interceding on our behalf before your throne. And to know that you are our Heavenly Father who hears and knows our needs. You are our Heavenly Father who hears and knows our hearts. So help us to seek first Christ's kingdom and his righteousness. And to know that all these things that we need will be added to us. And Lord, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.